dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Oh, hey guys! Hi! Welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm, I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky, and oh, I'm cool. really excited to be back. Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think this will be really fun. I'm just really excited. I know. We got our new, new setup a little bit. Some yeah, chairs. I feel comfy. Tiff got us new chairs. It's kind of, they're super nice. I feel a little bit more official, I think, because yes, of these chairs. They're like, official they're like office, office chairs. chairs. They're like, yeah. This is our business. Super swaggy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. We got a mimosa. Oh, yeah. Wait, hold on. Cheers. <laughs> we t- It took us, like, three months to realize that, like, we could drink and do this at the same time. Yeah. Who are we? <laughs> we were like, it was the, after the last set of recordings, we were like, so, do you guys want to, like, drink next time? It's acceptable. <laughs> I mean, we can, do, we can do whatever we want. It's yeah, our podcast. Whatever. We're whatever. adults. Fuck it. And this is Fuck our it. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Well, getting it in. <laughs> so we've got, as I say every week, a great episode. Yeah, it just for gets you. better and better every week. Like great wine, you know, just improves with time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's start with some news. Yes. I want to have like one of those like Dateline. Tip can put that in in post. Tip, put that in in post. She's for you know, she's <laughs> just yelling at the house. Uh, so what do I want to start with? Oh, you got a lot of news for us? Uh, holy <laughs> shit, do I have a lot of news. Oh, okay. um, well, let's start with an Aaron Hernandez update. How about that? Oh, okay, okay. Aaron Hernandez, if you remember, was the NFL player that committed suicide in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we knew at the time was that he had was 314 written in red on his forehead. He had and hung they himself. Definitively found out he was a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> 360. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the update. We're done. <laughs> so what we have found out now, or what I at least found out later, is that he also had put like um like a it was a slippery substance on the floor. It almost sounded like it was a, some kind of soap mixture and jammed like a piece For a of, second, I didn't know where you were going. No, it was on was the like, floor. Oh. Yeah. And jammed like a piece of cardboard in the sliding cell door to make it a little bit harder for, uh, like the... Fun to open it? Yeah. And get it. And once they got in, they'd be slipping around everywhere. That sounds like a terrible Three Stooges episode. Right? <laughs> oh my god. Yes. I'm just imagining them trying to, like, like Yeah. So, found that out. We had also left three suicide notes, if I'm remembering correctly. It was two to his fiance. Did you throw out the first two drafts? This is not good. Yeah, no. It was two to his fiance and a third to his uh, prison lover. Did you know about that? No. Okay, I'm going to be 100% honest. After we talked about it the last time, I was like, meh. Yeah, I check, I check on it every once in a while and was like, yeah, so the story is okay. that he had this gay prison Torrid lover prison lover. before um, he had committed suicide. He sent a, it was like a $50,000 watch to this guy's family because this guy was also in prison so mm-hmm. that they would have money. Um, anyway, so one of them is to this guy, um, which a lot, I think a lot of people before this were like, yeah, he's swinging both ways. Okay. Just cool if you want to do that. But, you know, I think it just made it, made it more sensational because he was a famous football player. Right. 
So anyway, um, now a, a couple of interesting things have happened. One is the his 2013 murder conviction was thrown out. Because he had died before he could finish his appeals process. And I know I touched on this, I think, the last time we talked about it. Throw it it out? Yeah. There's, um, hold on, let me pull up the article because. So essentially zero justice for the person that was murdered. Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. There's a, there is a statute that, okay. This is from an article on ESPN. Uh, dot com, and I'm just going to read right from it because it's a lot of legal stuff, but it says a judge erased a 2013 murder conviction against former NFL star Aaron Hernandez, ruling that case law in Massachusetts has long established that defendants who die before their appeals are heard should have their convictions vacated. So, that's it? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, because what about the person who was fucking murder. It feels like no justice. Zero justice. Yeah, so... I mean, that makes it sound like he's guilty, but you cannot prove that without a reasonable doubt. Right. And where he was at in his appeals process, it was essentially at a point where they were beginning from scratch, a new Mm -hmm. trial completely. So, yeah, I don't know. It's... I mean, it's a little crazy. Why would he even kill himself then? Why wouldn't he, like, I mean, that's not the point <clears throat> to kill yourself. That would be, like, yeah. after the appeal was, like, denied. And they do have but a chance to appeal the decision to vacate yeah. all the way up to the Massachusetts uh, Supreme Court. So we'll see. Maybe the decision will get overturned. But I think um, the decision to vacate was largely based on precedents from other cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is what they have done before. I know a lot of times when judges make rulings, they have to cite, I mean, there's like a lot of uh, citing case law from previous cases as examples and whatever. But um, the fact is right now, as of right now, it's been vacated. Yeah. Man. We need to have a whole episode about how the justice system is fucked up. Yeah. That would take up the rest of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, what is next? Uh, so, Tony Alamo, did you hear about that? He did. Oh. Yeah, so Tony Alamo, who is the founder of the... <laughs> like, wait a minute. Yeah, he was the founder of the Alamo Christian Foundation oh. in Hollywood, a.k.a. Crazy Cult Man. It was a very, like, apocalyptic, world-is-ending kind of thing, and they it was uh, largely money-making. They right. Tons of money. Um... He was convicted for sex abuse and was serving a 175-year jail term. Died in prison at the age of 82. Well, he lived a long and prosperous life. That's what it's going to say. (laughs) I did want to touch on uh, H.H. Holmes for a minute. I'm sure a lot of you guys know what's going on. Oh, yeah. Which is really exciting. Zooming. The only thing, so uh, some of his descendants have petitioned the court to exhume his body in Philadelphia, and they approved. So. Are they his, like, direct descendants, or yeah. are they through... Okay, because I was trying to think back, like, how many people actually survived him? Yeah. Well, and it's <laughs> like... he did yeah, try to kill true. all he of did, his family, killed, and I was like, like wait a minute, around why him, does yeah. this sound strange? Yeah. So, they are his direct descendants, and it's only members of his family that can petition the courts to exhume the body. Right. Um, so, they did, and they got it approved, and I think the idea is they want to... 
dig him up and test his DNA to prove that it is AJ Holmes in there because the other uh, thing is he as someone yeah off. as yeah. the story goes his last big con uh, when he got caught in Philadelphia he was to be hanged and he had paid off the hangman to replace his body and then requested that his casket be surrounded in cement. So when they tried they to dig it up, they didn't have public hangings back then yet. I was it. I mean, I feel like even if they did, he was cra- he was like a crafty motherfucker. Like, he when was did they like stop doing public hangings because I feel like you have to have a witness. I right? think it's not. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you have to do it in public. You could just have witnesses like they do now, where it's right. like they have a chamber where people come yeah, in. I also feel like they stopped doing public hangings. Like it was not that long ago when they stopped doing public hangings in some places of the exactly. world, which That's is a little why crazy. Kind of like. I feel like there was at least a few people that were witnesses. Unless he paid everybody off. He could have. He might have. I mean, that could... Is, well, there I feel like even, ropes? I don't know. Even <laughs> if it was a public execution, he would have... He, he like, found ways to manipulate everybody and would find a way I'm to replace the body. It, but I want it to be true. I want yeah. him oh, to... Oh, totally! I want that... That would make the story then so what? much there, more Where else would you go? Like, once we know it's not him in there, like, what else would you possibly do? Like, a new ending to Devil yeah. in the White City. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, so, the Cool. <laughs> they started dating a couple weeks ago, and as of yet, from what I can find, they haven't actually found his body yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what that means, but they have 120 days to dig him up and get him back in the ground, have any DNA testing or whatever done. So we will try and keep you up to date with that. I think that one's going to be really interesting if they ever do find his body, which seems yeah. like a weird thing not to find. Anyway. Oh, he probably like moved far, far, far away. <laughs> yeah. So the next interesting thing... Uh, J.W. Bedford Jr.'s unusual last meal request. What? Yeah. You're <laughs> supposed to out of nowhere. I know. Well, because all of them deal with some really interesting issues, I think. This one I found on Crime Online, which is actually Nanny Grace's uh, crime website. And while I am not a big fan of her... I, uh, I, we know how you feel about her. Yeah. Her. <laughs> uh, well, just, I'm not, she looks like a demon. Yeah. Like her face just, oh, it's well, punishable. She also has really strong opinions and, you know. I can get, I can get behind a woman with strong opinions. Yeah. But you also have to do your research and yeah. not just start screaming about something before you know everything. Um, her website though does have a lot of like, uh, up to it's a little bit more up to date. They update it like like every you know fifteen minutes. There's some new something. So I found I happened to stumble across this article. Uh, John or J W Bedford Jr. was sentenced to death in 1992 for the murder of Dr. Harry Johnston, who was his 73 year old neighbor in Georgia, and he was scheduled to be executed on May 16th at seven, which was just a couple days ago. Um. He, this was his last meal request. He requested filet mignon wrapped in bacon with pepper jack cheese, large french fries, 10 chicken tenders with sauce, fried pork chop. I bet you it was fucking ranch sauce, too. Oh, yeah, not like... Basic. Yes. I mean, I would get it with ranch. Oh, who, who am I kidding? I think it's ranch, man. Ranch I'm is vegetarian, but I think oh, if yeah. I had my last meal, I would be like, fuck it. Steak. Give me a whole fucking chicken. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also got a fried pork chop, a bloomin' onion, pecan pie with vanilla ice cream. Now, did he have to get a bloomin' onion from Outback Steakhouse? <laughs> I don't know. I just imagined it was. 
I just imagined that it was when they said blue and onion. That's what I pictured. <laughs> um, he had sherbet and a sprite to round That's it off. That's a lot of food. No, yeah. What like, state was he in? He was in Georgia. Because I was talking with someone bef- like uh, previously about how some states stopped doing um, your last meal requests. Like they give you a like a cap, a limit of things you can get, and they yeah, can't be- because some of them have gotten too outrageous. I mean, that's really what right. it was: is people were requesting these ridiculous well, there were things. Also, people who were requesting very expensive, very elaborate, very specific meals, and then not fucking eating it. Oh and yeah, just being, like the last fuck you to the the police. Like yeah, that's I want a lobster. Doing that. Throw it in the garbage. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so there's certain states that like. Because we were talking about John Wayne Gacy and how he specifically requested a bucket of KFC chicken, and I was like, did he actually get it, though? Did they actually go to KFC and get him a bucket of chicken? Or did they just make prison chicken, and they're like, this is it. Put it in a KFC bucket. (laughs) Regular chicken in, like, a... They just sharpied around, like, this, like, paper bag. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um... So the other thing was that he had also requested a death by firing squad. Oh my god. Well. Gangster. He had a fear that he had developed a tolerance for the drug that they used during the execution. I think, yeah, I think I'd want that too. I'd be like, don't give me yeah. injection. Well, and the thing is, is he Can had you, used- they do guillotine? Yeah, right. <laughs> I choose that one. <laughs> That's the one. Um, he used uh, the drug gabapentin is one that he had used for over 10 years to treat chronic nerve pain and that's what they use to make it so that you can't feel Feel the stuff going through your body and without that like if he were to not react to that at all and it wouldn't kick in um it would be considered cruel and unusual punishment Mm -hmm. which i have that problem too where i have the tolerance that i have for pain medication like you they have to give me an extraordinary amount for it to even work so that's why I never, ever right. do pain meds when I go to the hospital, because it's fucking pointless. Yeah. I'm not going to drop $500 on a fucking depo shot and still be in pain. Like, it's stupid. So, so that's fucked up. <laughs> so they took this case um, saying that they were requesting death by firing squad. The suit, however, was dismissed, citing not enough evidence um, that this would actually happen. And they said they were not able to provide a known and available method as an alternative. However, his lawyers are saying, well, we suggested death by firing squad. You have ample people and ample weapons mm-hmm. to like make that happen. And it's so it's not illegal. Right. Yeah. And as far, so as far as I know, they're appealing that decision and I, he has not been executed as of yet. He so. should just try to be, um, transferred to Texas and they will gladly do firing squad. Yeah, no kidding. I think they, yeah, I'm sure they would still do it. If oh, it wasn't, yeah. Like, I mean, they love lethal injection down there, but they will, Yeah, they, I oh, think yeah. they're one of the states that actually allow you to have an option. Yeah. <laughs> so the last, we'll end on a, on a lighter note on the news portion of our <laughs> a lighter podcast. Uh, so Zach Efron oh, has know. been cast <laughs> to play Ted Bundy oh. in a new movie called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, and it's directed by Joe Burlington, who also did Paradise Lost. That was this uh, documentary about the West Memphis Three. Mm-hmm. It is going to be a film uh, that's seen through the eyes of Elizabeth Clo. How do you say your last name? Clofer? K-L-O-E-P-F-R? Clofer? Yeah, that sounds um, sure. Who is Bundy's longtime girlfriend who, in the end, turned him in. That's an interesting so. twist. Yeah, and it's from said, her perspective. From what I was seeing, it was going to be a lot, ba- like, 
a, a lot about okay. his ability to manipulate, manipulate and kind of... When I first heard this news, I'm like, he's too pretty to yeah. be Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy is like... Did you see the side-by-side charming. picture of them, though? I mean, it's like... Per- it is like... It's fucking The perfect. guy from It's Sunny and... Oh, oh yeah! He uh, should be Dennis? Ted... Yeah, yes. he plays Dennis? He yeah. should fucking be Ted Bundy. Yeah. That's like doppelganger. That would be hilarious. I mean, yes. That would be great. Zach Efron, I'm sure he'll do a pretty decent job. I've seen a couple movies where he's played darker characters, and he's pretty good at it. Yeah. But he's too pretty. Like, they're gonna have to adjust his face <laughs> to yeah. not be so pretty. They can do it. But now that I kind of hear that it's from the girl's perspective, I can kind of see, like, if yeah. that's your girlfriend, she thinks you're a little more dreamy than other people, so maybe yeah. that... I don't know. So dreamy. Yeah, like, you know, you have yeah. this idyllic look of your boy, you, the way you think they look. So maybe, I guess, that could play into it a little bit. But yeah. I was kind of like, Zach Efron, you're too pretty for this. Sorry, I feel like I'm really far away from the table. We are. I'm just, like, moving the table. we have, like, nice, large, know, comfy nice chairs. chairs. I know. So you're, like, leaning back. <laughs> so true. So I'm that's too relaxed. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so yeah, anything with updates on, like, H.H. Holmes or Aaron Hernandez, I'll try to update you guys on, but... Cool, cool. So let's talk about murder. I mean, as if we haven't been talking about murder in the last, you know, however long. So, um, I recently went out of state because my grandmother passed away. Um, so we went back to Cleveland because that's where my parents are from. So while I was there, we were talking about, you know, just stories um, that my grandma had told us when we were little, and... My, I keep fucking hitting this table. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. knock over all of our mimosas. This is why we don't drink during the podcast. Is <laughs> we're we, too yeah. loosey-goosey and comfortable. All of a sudden, we're fucking it up. Oh, man. I'll stop turning back and forth in my chair like an executive. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so my dad was telling us about how um, my grandmother lived um, in Cleveland in the 30s, and... They discussed the Cleveland Torso Murders, a.k.a. the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. So, what's got me thinking, let's do an episode about Ohio Murders, because that state... Right. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. There's so much murder. That's, like, top five murder states. Yeah. Like, Wisconsin, Ohio, that's the Midwest representing the the murder. Well, Um, and do we want to talk about our listener, too? Oh, yeah. And so, um, yeah. So that got me thinking about it. And then we also had someone send in a request for this at the same time. Legit coincidence, (laughs) but we did have a request from Jillian. Yes. Who, so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're glad that. So it was like, fuck, it's just the yeah. stars have aligned. Oh, it's so it's true. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the people want to hear. This is, we have to give the people <laughs> what they want. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think I did a poll on Twitter too, and that was like the top. Oh, rated. yeah, yeah. So people really want to hear about this, so I am going to tell them about the Cleveland Torso murders with a couple of, you know, fun family stories thrown in. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so 1930s Cleveland. This is like a booming steel mill city. And it wasn't as affected uh, by the Great Depression as other cities. I mean, there was a couple, <laughs> there's a couple hobo villages because okay. it was the yeah. Great Depression. Every yeah. city had a hobo village. But they were, had a rise in um, steelwork and milling. So they weren't as downtrodden as, say, like the rest of the Midwest, like Kansas and all that. And they had, like, a huge bustling railroad system. My grandfather worked on the railroad 
Um, and they made a shit ton of money. Like, even during the Great Depression, because that was the one thing yeah. that just kept going. Because people, it, that was their main source of getting things to places. There wasn't trucks. It was the Well, it wasn't that around the time that they were still developing the railroad? I mean, it wasn't yeah. even like a full-blown... Yeah, so there was a lot, a lot more um, development. So, between 1935 and 1938, there was a madman roaming the streets of Cleveland's flats. (gasps) A madman, you say? and dismembering bodies. I was going to talk in, like, a juicy voice. Extra, extra! Read all about it! Madman on the street! (laughs) Madman roaming the streets of the Cleveland flats, (laughs) murdering and dismembering bodies! Laying them in fields. <laughs> you are really good at that. I should do like. Do you radio. like practice at night? <laughs> your newsy, I, your newsy voice. So Gotta get talk sometimes to people. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I revert back to like my my your newsy nineteen forties like newscaster on the radio voice when I like get excited yeah. about stuff. What if it was, like, every time you got nervous, you talked in, like, a ner- newsy voice? So you'd be in, like, job interviews? I don't stutter. I'd turn into a newsy. Well, I'm really great at doing art things. See and here, now. I have great personal skills. Um, yes. So, <laughs> God damn it. Um, so, he was leaving him in the Cleveland Flats, and Kingsbury Run is, like, the major road in the Flats. And they call it the Flats because it's, um... This area where a riverbed used to be. So now it's just like a huge barren wasteland of nothingness. Um, so there's like Woodland Avenue, Broadway, and then Kingsbury Run is like the dead, dark end of these streets. They're like pretty big streets in the flats. Okay, okay. Um, now the flats are also where the poorest people of Cleveland lived, and it was like a shanty town, and that's where their hobo village was. Um, and the kind of interesting, my dad and my mom both grew up in Cleveland, and, like, the flats went from, like, that pretty upscale, like, manufacturing business area, and then after the war, all of those manufacturers started to kind of move out. And by the 60s, like, late 60s, early 70s, when my parents were teenagers, um, it was a shithole. That's where, like, all the murder, all the prostitution obscene amount of rapes were occurring. People were getting carjacked. My dad, in the 70s, it was like the underground punk scene, so they turned all these empty buildings into, like, fucking venues for these shitty punk bands. I don't mean shitty. The Dead Boys played there. Yeah. the Dead Boys. But, you know, uh, it was the shitty punk Yeah, band. shitty yeah. punk. It has to be shitty, because yeah. it's punk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, they would play down there. So, he went to go see a show, and there was this guy going around, um, carjacking people, basically. Um, making them get out of the car, Stealing their shit, shooting them and stuffing them into a trunk. That guy attempted to kill my father. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this, is, this is a family story. Um, my dad went down there for a show. He was waiting for his friend. The guy came up to him, stuck a pistol in the window, told him to get the fuck out, pushed him into the trunk, what? and went to shoot him, and the gun jammed. <gasps> so instead, he pistol whipped my dad and locked the trunk and ran away. My dad was one of three people that were not shot out of the 15 that were carjacked and murdered. And I was trying to find information while I was there about this because I wanted to do that story as the story for, you know, Cleveland, but there was, like, nothing. Because that was such a... 
there were so many people carjacking other people at the time. Yeah. That they weren't 100% sure if it was the same person, different people, multiple people copying each other. Holy so. shit, I can't believe you've never told me that before. <laughs> oh my god. I remember I'm telling you my dad almost crazy. I was almost not here, Vicky. I know. That is nuts, though. <laughs> so, that was another reason I was like, we have to do something about Cleveland. Because yeah. that place is fucked. So, and it was in the same area that the Mad Butcher, you know, was roaming the streets. It's just a not a good place. They're yeah. trying to reclaim it now and make it, like, nice and upscale. When we went, yeah. when I went back a couple weeks ago, um... They have a lot of breweries down there, and they're changing all the manufacturing yeah. buildings into, like, nice, upscale that condos. Gentrification? Oh, yeah, they're gentrifying yeah. the shit out of it. But it's better than what it was when I was, you know, 10 years old, and we went there in the 90s. It was, yeah. like, it looked like a bomb had dropped. It right. was a really shitty place. So. <laughs> and... <laughs> So we talked about that, and then we moved, you know, my dad moved into telling me about how my grandmother had, you know, been, she was, like, 11 when the the Mad Butcher was going around killing people. And she lived in, like, the Polish community, which is a little bit closer to the flats, and they were saying, like, people weren't allowed to go out past 8 o'clock at night. Um, You had to be in groups of, you know, two at least at a time. Like, it was very, very scary, because... It was just people walking to work, finding body parts everywhere. And then all of a sudden, a woman's torso washed up on the shore and, like, just literally oh littered God, yeah. with body parts. And they never, ever, like, would find their heads. It was just, like, hands, arms, legs, like, just fucking... Just body parts. Body mulch everywhere. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine being one of those people that just found an arm? I have yeah. always thought about like You're what would I do to work if I was just like, like a fucking stumble arm. upon? Yeah, <laughs> what do you? What the? I mean, obviously you call the police, but like, what would, I, what would I do? I, what would I? Would I'd I be like, like cool? Because yeah. a lot of times when I hear people talk about just, how they discovered, no, you know, in cases how out. they discovered bodies on yeah. the side of the road and shit, they're like, oh, I thought it was trash, or oh, I thought it was a mannequin piece, because your brain doesn't want to automatically go, oh, that's totally a fucking not. body, except yeah. that's how I that's react. how I would be too, that's <laughs> a fucking I'm the body, <laughs> bye, yeah. we've said this before, every time we see a bag of garbage, oh I'm like, it's dead, so true. dead person in there, <laughs> it's not cans, it's a dead person, um, so the <laughs> the Cleveland Torso murder had 12 confirmed murders and they speculate up to 15 or 16 because there were a couple other murders that happened previous to the first person that they found that they thought might be connected but they can't say for sure because it was like a year period in between them. So we're going to start with the first one that they found and then they were like shit when they found two more. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is a pattern. So it's going to start September of 1934. They found a torso of a woman washed up on the shore of Lake Erie. So it was cut from the knees down and from the elbows. Um, so just like the forearms are missing, the calves, the feet, and no head. Okay. So it was most of a torso. Um, her skin had this leathery appearance to it, and they figured that it had been treated with chemicals because it was bright red and like leathery, like, yeah. she had been tanned, almost. Ew, oh, <laughs> God. And they estimated that she was approximately in her 30s, and they had searched the coastline looking for the rest of her body, and they didn't find anything. So they could not identify her, and she was known as the Lady of the Lake, and she's considered the first victim of the Kingsbury Butcher, 
Um, but they didn't find more bodies until a year later. So they're saying that this is like the test. Um, they think this yeah. is where it started. I think it was before that, but that's okay. <laughs> so September 1936, almost exactly a year later, two teenage boys discovered the decapitated, emasculated corpse of a white male at the base of Jackass Hill. That's a real street. Jackass Hill. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, Which that's is- a name, Jackass Hill Street? Or yeah. Like- it's, it's Jackass Hill, and then ends in uh, 49th Street. So it's like, ugh, Cleveland. All I can say is Cleveland. Yeah, really. While we were there, I'm just... <laughs> Things were happening, and we were witnessing shit, and I was like, Cleveland. If this is Cleveland. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's just so terrible. I mean, my sister, when we were, at, we were at a dinner, this is a side story, sidebar story, um, we kept getting, like, these weird, creepy guys looking at us. I was like, you know what I think is happening? So we're, like, solid Illinois sixes. But in Cleveland, we're like tens. We're like yeah. Cleveland tens. Oh. So I was like, all these guys are staring at us because we're Cleveland ten. Okay. <laughs> I didn't I know mean, that was that. A these thing? creepy old motherfuckers are like, bam, she's not from Cleveland. <laughs> so I'm a Cleveland ten, baby. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I just that was so funny. <laughs> um. So yeah. Jackass Hill, Kingsbury Ron Road. Cleveland 10. <laughs> Cleveland 10. That's my nickname. No, the Cleveland 10 O'Malley. Uh, <laughs> so the body was naked except for a pair of socks. <laughs> and it was, like, cleaned. No okay. blood. Like, it had been washed. And there were rope burns on the wrists. And the coroner decided, like, had determined that the cause of death was decapitation. So they were missing um, their head and their hands. So... They wound up actually finding his hands. They found his hands in a different place, and they were able to identify him. So only three people out of the 12 were identified. He was identified as Edward Androssi, 28-year-old male. He had an arrest record, so that's how they were able to figure out who he was. Um, he was arrested for prostitution and sodomy. Oh. Because <laughs> uh, he was a homosexual. Um, so then the police discovered a second body nearby, also decapitated and emasculated. And I, if, for people who don't know what emasculation is, they cut off the male genitals. That's Ugh. why it is called emasculation. It's not, um, like castration or, uh, what is it called where they cut off just the penis? Uh, circumcision? Term. No, it's the whole thing, not just oh. the tip. No. Not just the tip. Uh... I'll think about it later when I'm not recording, and then I'll be like, oh, that's what it's called. Or you'll think about it when we're talking about something completely different. Than so it. it's called that when the person's Shut alive. <laughs> when the person's alive, they call it, like, castration. But when they're dead, they call it emasculation. Okay. I don't think I that. Stupid terms. Um, so they found another, that other body, and that body appeared to be covered with the same chemical as preservative as the Lady of the Lake. So his body was red and leathery and gross. And it had apparently been dead for at least a couple of weeks. So, that's another thing that's going to be happening. They're going to be finding bodies in this quick period, but they've been dead for a while. Okay. So, keep that in mind. And they estimated that this second body was a 40-year-old white male. Never identified because, again, no hands, no face, just the torso. In January of 1936, I'm reading ahead, a woman discovers half the body of a female, neatly wrapped in newspaper and packed into two half-bushel baskets. So think apple-picking baskets oh full God. of a body. <laughs> so everything was, um, like, recovered in a 
about 10 days in this huge vacant lot that she was like, it was like a hide and seek of body parts. It was like, oh, a leg in the corner of the lot and then a hand in the other far corner of the lot. Oh my <laughs> they god. They found every part that of her. That is the worst game of hide and seek ever. They found every part of her except for her head. So, I mean. Yeah. It's pretty decent. <laughs> Um, she was able to be identified because she had an arrest record because, um, okay, so her name is Frances Polillo. Po so, what? Polillo. Polillo. Okay. This is Spanish. Okay. <laughs> um. You know foreign names are my strong point. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, she, remember her name for later because that's going to, she's going to be an important person. Um, she had an arrest record because she was a occasional prostitute. So her description was waitress, barmaid, occasional prostitute. Like, she just dabbled in prostitution. <laughs> okay. Um, so she was the second person identified. Um, then in June of 1936, two young boys discovered the head of a white male wrapped in a pair of trousers. And that's close to, like, East 55th Street. So if you're thinking about, like, we had 49th Street, 55th Street, these are all really, really close to each other. The police found the body of a 20-some-year-old man the next day dumped almost feet away from it um, in front of the Nickel Plate Road building that was over there. Um, the body had been cleaned, drained of the blood, the corpse was intact except for the head. And they had... This is an interesting one. They had fingerprints. They were able to get fingerprints. And he had tattoos on his torso. Okay. Now, this is 1936. Tattoos were really only on sailors, people who were involved in the circus, and people who went to jail. Yeah. So they figured that this would be, oh, he's got six very distinct tattoos. We should be able to identify him. No problem. We have fingerprints. So if he's a sailor or if he was a criminal, we'd be able to find him. If he was in a circus, maybe that'd be a little bit more difficult. But they usually put the tattooed people... On posters. So, hey, yeah. we, we should be able to find him. They never identified him. He is one of the people that they made a plaster reproduction of his face, so a death mask, yeah. to try to identify him. And they uh, made pictures of the tattoos, and they put these all together, and they were displayed at the Great Lakes Exposition of 1936 in an effort to try to identify him. Yeah. But he was never identified. Wow. The mask still survives, and you can still see it. That's awesome. Where? Um... I'll tell you later at the end. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to show you a fair. picture of okay. it. It's going to be great. All right. Um, so, <laughs> July 1936, a teenage girl came across the decapitated remains of a 44-year-old woman, or, I'm sorry, woman, man, um, while she was walking through the, ro- the woods near Clinton Road, which is, like, right next to 55th Street. So all these, again, super close area. The victim, they estimated, had been dead about two months. And, there, of course, no head. The weird thing, though, was there was a pile of clothes covered in blood, and the body was found on matted grass that was also covered in blood. So what they think was that he was killed there, and he was going to be moved, but he got, you know, someone was rustling around over there, and yeah. he just left him as he laid. So they that was one of the few where it was just the person had actually been killed in that spot, and, as opposed to wrapped up and moved. Um, so they figured that maybe they'd be able to find a little more evidence or clues. Again, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whoever was doing this was, like, fucking on their shit. They took all the important stuff. <laughs> so let's go to September of 1936. The upper half of a man's torso was found near East 37th Street, and that's in the Kingsbury Run District. Um, they searched a nearby pool, which 
I'm going to use the term pool loosely. It was basically an abandoned open sewer system that was filled with water so uh, people could bathe in it because uh, hobos. Uh, <laughs> that all sounds really gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. So then they found the rest of his body, his legs, and the lower part of his torso in that pool, air quotes. Poo? Pool. The pool. And this is on poo? It's really disgusting. <laughs> Cleveland! <laughs> So, like, they had sent divers in, and I feel really, like, uh, imagine being a diver in the 30s. Poor divers had to go in there, and they're like, 1930s bathing suit shorts, like, <laughs> their stupid heavy yeah. fucking masks on, and uh, find this body. So, while they were searching this, like, pool, in quotes, sewer, um, it was estimated that over 600 spectators started to appear to watch them recover this body. Wait, how many? 600. 600? This is a big city. Cleveland's a pretty big city. So... Well, and I feel like when something like this happens, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, let's go already, check it out. They already... See they, what's going I mean, on. They put that death mask in there. Basically, the Great Lakes Exposition, Exposition is like a World's Fair type deal. So they were already in the news. They were already displaying death masks from this yeah. murderer. So, yeah, this is like a big, huge event. So 600 people showed up to watch them pull body parts out of the fucking sewer. <laughs> it's a great so, afternoon for yes, the family. Right? And you imagine it's like... Gross. Fun for all. Yeah. Okay, so that was victim number six. Yeah, six. So February 1937, a, mind, a man finds... Oh, my God. Too many mimosas. A man fans. <laughs> That's why you need to mix the proper ratio of champagne to orange juice <laughs> instead of half and half. Nah. Ugh. Okay. So a man finds the upper half of a woman's torso washed up on the shore of Bratton Hall, which is like the German side of town. So unlike the previous victims, the cause of death had not been decapitation. So they figured that she was murdered and then decapitated and thrown into the river, um... It was just her torso, like her upper part of her torso, no head, no hands, nothing. And then later, I think it was like a couple of days later, the bottom half of her body washed up and they estimated that she was like a 20 year old woman. Um, but again, never identified. So June 1937, a teenage boy discovered a human skull under the Lorraine Carnegie Bridge. And, uh, next to it was a burlap sack containing the skeletal remains of what turned out to be like a petite black woman about 40 years old, and they were able to identify her identify her through her dental records, um, which is actually back then kind of rare because they kept very loose dental records. Right. Um, but she'd had so much work done to her mouth that she had a lot of records and a lot of um, the things that they used in her mouth had, par- like, lot numbers, so they okay. were able to really figure out who it was. And her name was Rose Wallace, and she's from Schoolville Avenue, which is a little bit outside of Kingsbury Run. And she's one of the few victims that was not white. Most of them were, like, white males and females. So she was, um, I think, one of two people that were African-American. So she's also one of the people they did a death mask of. Okay. Um, Then July 1937, a young guardsman standing watch by the West 3rd Street Bridge saw the first piece of victim number nine kind of come up in the water as a tugboat passed by. Oh, God. <laughs> so they're just kind of, like, washing them up. Yeah. Um, and then over the next few days, police, d- like, recovered the entire body except for the head from the waters of the Cuyahoga River. Um, the weird thing about this one, though, is that the abdomen had been gutted and the heart ripped out, whereas previously these people were still intact and they were just, like, cut 
off at the, you know, joints. So they thought maybe that perhaps it was cut by a boat or something passing by and not necessarily that the person had gutted them officially. Okay. They thought maybe like Yeah, it just was where the it body was, cut was open at. by a boat and you yeah. know, there's turtles and fish in there and oh, they yeah. will eat your guts. Well and that'll happen <laughs> that happens a lot when you if they even if they just like dump a body in the forest, like animals get yeah. to it. It's fresh yeah. meat. <laughs> yeah. Free and fresh. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so April nineteen thirty eight, a long, a young laborer on his way to work in the flats um, saw what he first thought was a dead fish floating in the Cuyahoga River, and then he got closer and realized that it was the lower half of a woman's leg. So, the calf. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Definitely looks like a fish. Yeah. So, this was victim number 10. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and then a month later, uh, the police had pulled two burlap bags out of the river in the same area, and both uh, bags contained parts of the torso and the rest of the legs of this woman. Um, and then August 1938, three scrap collectors foraging in a dump near East 9th Street and Lakeside found the torso of a woman wrapped in a man's double-breasted suit. So, like a blue blazer jacket, and her body was rolled up in it. And then, on top of that, they had put a quilt over top of it. So, (laughs) just really trying to hide it. Sure, yeah. Um, the legs and arms were discovered in um, a makeshift constructed box that had been wrapped in brown butcher paper and held together with rubber bands. And then the head had been similarly wrapped in a makeshift box with rubber bands. So they actually found her head. Um, the coroner at the time was Gerber. So um, he noted that some of the parts looked like they had been refrigerated. Okay. So like frozen and then thawed out. Um, and then while they were searching for more pieces of her body, they discovered the remains of a second body only yards away. So it was like a mishmash of body parts all strewn together. Right. <laughs> um, that body was not wrapped, though, if that makes a difference. Which is weird. Why yeah. you wrap one body and not the other? Unless it was like, you were getting rid of this dead person, then someone happens upon you, and they're like, well, now I'm going to have to cut you up into pieces. <laughs> Well, and this doesn't sound like the first time there was multiple bodies or, like, multiple parts and stuff near each other. Like, Mm -hmm. it almost sounded like he was waiting until he had enough to dump and then, like, dumping them all at once. It's a... And how can you really be for certain, if most of these people are white males and females, Mm -hmm. that that leg matches that leg and is not a leg of a different person. Well, right, you know especially I mean? in a time where DNA testing no was DNA not testing. A thing. All they could identify people right. was like showing pictures and fingerprints if they had an arrest record. People weren't getting fingerprinted, you know, kids didn't get fingerprinted until the 90s in case they got abducted. Right. So, I mean, unless you had an arrest record, your fingerprints were useless. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, this is when things start getting really interesting. So, that was 11 and 12, right? Yep, that was 11 and 12. So, those are the last of the bodies. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you know Elliot Ness? Does that name ring a bell to you? Should it? Yeah, Elliot Ness, the Untouchables. Uh, Gangsters. Nope. Nope. Not. No? No. Really? Yeah, I wasn't really into that. Al Capone? Mob, kind of. I mean, kind of. Okay, well, he was the guy who was taking down the mob. Okay, um, got it. In All the right. 30s, like, well, late 20s, then in 1930, he moved to Cleveland, and he became the public safety director of Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. So he had won all these awards and a Medal of Honor, you know, taking down the mafia in the 20s. 
See? Um, so he was the safety director. And when all of these murders were occurring, people were like, why aren't you fucking doing anything? You're supposed to be big, bad fucking Elliot Ness. Yeah. And he's like, I'm trying. <laughs> uh-huh. This isn't the mafia. I'm yeah, fucked. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what he did. <laughs> On August 18th of 1938, at 12.40 a.m., Elliot Ness and a group of 35 police officers and detectives raided the hobo jungles of Kingsbury Run. Now, the hobo jungles were under the bridge railroad tracks, and it was a bunch of... Uh, I don't know if you remember from history class, the Hoover Shanty Towns. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's a Hoover Shanty Town. Like, t- <laughs> tents made out of blankets yeah. and so really it was, tiny little spaces. They called it the hobo jungles of the yeah. flats. Um, so they went through and they raided. They had 11 squad cars, two police vans, and two fire trucks. So what they did was they rounded up every man, because they automatically thought it was a man doing this. Of course. <laughs> they rounded up every man in the hobo jungle and arrested him. Then at dawn, the police and firemen went through and ripped down every single shanty looking for clues. Wow. Then, on orders from Elliot Ness, everything was set on fire. Wow. And burned to the fucking ground. Unnecessary. Holy moly. This was his answer. You want me to do something? I'm going to burn down this hobo town where all these people who have no jobs and no money are living. Hateful. Okay. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So the press obviously scrutinized the shit out of him. As they should have. <laughs> and they were like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And all it did was make people more afraid and more frustrated. And and they didn't understand how this was going to solve the murders. Like, why is this the right option to burn down everything? Because they automatically thought, oh, well, it has to be one of these people because, I mean, they're in the area. Yeah. They initially thought it was, you know, for monetary gains, taking whatever the person had on them. But then why would you chop them up and hide the body? Why would you wrap someone in burlap? All this shit costs money. A double-breasted suit, a burlap sack, making a box with rubber bands. Rubber bands were not commonplace. They weren't something that everybody had. So if you think about those things... It's not someone who was a hobo. <laughs> well, and even if you're searching, like, why the fuck did you set their shit on fire? Like, why? So they that's like return, what it, I guess. It legit thinking. was like, is like completely unnecessary. Yeah. So know? he's like this legendary prohibition agent turned into safety director, and he's using the tactics he would use on the mafia during the prohibition. Oh, on, gotcha, on this, yeah. On these people, and it, it does not work it's that not the way. Same that's thing, not how yeah. it's going to work. Um, so, I actually had to look up what a safety director really does, because I was like... Do they direct safety? So, what they do is they're, <laughs> they're in charge of putting together, like, combined efforts between the police department, the fire department, emergency medical services. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. whenever there's, like, a huge event or a large crisis happening, they're the ones who are in charge of kind of correlating all the information for all of these departments so that they can work together on one issue. Okay. And, you know, make it easier, more streamlined. Because, you know, sometimes cops don't want to deal with firefighters. And the EMTs are like, whatever, we just want to save someone's life. So they kind of put it all together so that it runs smoothly. And then they directly um, answer to the mayor of whatever city they're working for. Because I was like, what the fuck? And there are still safety directors. Because I was like, I've heard that before, but, like, what do they actually do? Like, yeah. They're just like, ah, I'm very safe. Yeah. Like, the what? director of safe. <laughs> so then, um, on August 24th, uh, a year later, 
exactly a year later, after they burned down the hobo jungles, they arrested someone in connection to this murder. Finally. It's all because they burned him down, I bet. There right. was, a, right? A year later. <laughs> One year later. One year later. Almost exactly a year later. Oh my god. Um, so the man's name was Frank Dalzell. He was 52 and he was arrested as the first official suspect, an only official suspect, of the Cleveland Torso murders. Um, they arrested him because he at one time had lived with Florence Bolido. Okay. Which is the famous prostitute. Right. Part-time, part-time prostitute. Never right. worked more than 20 hours a week prostituting. <laughs> That's part-time. <laughs> uh, so he had lived with her for a while, and then upon further investigation, he had been acquainted with Edward Andrasi. Okay. The other person who then identified. And he lived in pros... I need to stop drinking. Close, <laughs> close proximity to Rose Wallace, the third person who was identified. Okay. So they're like, we got him! We got a man! Um, they didn't have their man. <laughs> so he confessed, put air quotes on that, um, and his confession was just like a blend of like incoherent ramblings, just nonsense strewn together with exact precise details. <laughs> oh, jeez. So... The consensus is that he had been coached uh, to confession. Yeah. They coached him what to say in respects to yeah. the details, and then whatever was the nonsense was what he was actually, like, just throwing in yeah, there. Yeah, sure. Um, I wasn't able to actually pull up the information um, about him because funny thing happened. They arrested him after he confessed, and he died in jail while they were putting together this case mysteriously. Really? Really? So, he was found in his jail two days later, after he had confessed, dead. And they examined him, and he had had six broken ribs that were not there when he had arrived. Damn. So, the theory was that they got him to confess, and then they killed him because he wasn't actually the person. Like, the cops killed him? Okay. Or they had, they had hired someone who was, because it was a communal, like it was a communal jail cell. It wasn't like solitary. It was like the entire prison system (laughs) of, uh, was it Cuyahoga County Prison? Yeah. Um, so they figured that they had hired someone to kill him while he was in prison so that the case would be done and over with. Um, so he was considered the, you know, Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, even though there was never, um, they never actually officially charged him, even though he confessed because he had died in jail. And um, there was no trial. They were like, that's it, we're done. So they just stopped investigating? Yeah, they stopped investigating. Weird thing, though, is Elliot Ness did not believe it was him. He had another theory, and the theory that he had had haunted him until he died. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is, like, horrifying. Okay, so he thought it was Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. He was a veteran of World War One. He was a surgeon during the war, so he had a lot of medical knowledge. Okay. Fun fact also, he was a crazy fucking schizophrenic. <laughs> Alright. Um so Ness thought it was him because he was he had done like charity work, um, working in the flats, helping people out. Oh, so, like, it so, wouldn't be weird for him to be around that area. Exactly. But he was well-to-do, so people couldn't touch him, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, Elliot Ness personally interviewed Sweeney around the same t- 
time, maybe a little bit before they were doing the interviews with Frank Delzell. Um, and he, they gave him a polygraph test that he failed. Okay. So he was convinced, Elliot Ness was convinced that he was the one who did it. But because Dalzell confessed at the exact same time, they stopped investigating Sweeney. So, um, because he was like this crazy schizophrenic, he committed himself to an institution in 1939, in, like, November of 1939. So a couple months after they had, like, done an interview with him and he had, fast, like, failed to pass the polygraph test. Sure. Um, so he stayed there until 1950. He died in that institution. He, like, committed himself. He was, like, a crazy paranoid schizophrenia, schizophrenic, and the schizophrenia just continued to progress and get worse and worse. And what they figured was because he was a surgeon and he was in the war that that, like, kicked off his schizophrenia. Like, that oh, was the yeah, like point a that... stressful Yeah, that was the point kind of that, like, made it show itself, and, and then it just progressively got worse. Yeah. And that's why the theory is that he is butchering these people because he's having, like, these schizophrenic flashbacks of being in the war oh. operating on these people, and he can't tell the difference between the reality of what he's doing and... The, the past that he had had. Yeah. So, um, while he was in the institution, Elliot Ness received letters until his dying day from Sweeney saying all these crazy things like, you know, you should have got me when you had me and like all these other, like just like not taunting him, taunting almost? him, not saying that he murdered these people, but saying, yeah. you know, I've done terrible things in my life and you should have, you should have locked me up when you had me. And they were saying oh that he became lucid enough to realize that he had killed these people, and that's why he committed himself. Because oh. that's when the murder stopped. <laughs> oh, what a coincidence! What a coincidence, indeed. Um, so then there was um, another theory that started to develop in the '90s that the King, the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, is actually like multiple different people um, copying off the first murder. And the first murder, they say, was the Lady of the Lake, and then ended with the fourth person who had the chemicals all over their body. They think that yeah. was the actual Kingsbury, you know, mad butcher. And that every body that they had found subsequently after that was multiple people just copying off of him. Or her. Because um, <laughs> ladies can be murdered, too, these we days, We can murder, guys. too. And then there was, like, a whole <laughs> issue, too, because there were two different coroners that had worked on this, because it was a span of four years. Um... The first guy, Arthur Arthur J. Pierce, um, he was, like, all over the place with this analysis when he was analyzing these body parts that they were finding, and, like, his findings were super inconsistent with each other, but he kept trying to tie them together, even though what he wrote in his reports didn't actually correlate with the other stuff. Mm. So he was the first issue, and then when he was kicked out of the police department, the second guy, Gerber, Samuel Gerber... He loved press attention. He got a bunch of attention from a, a murder trial of Sam Shepard, not Sam Shepard, okay. the gay man who died. Yes. <laughs> because this was the 30s. Um, <laughs> same name, though. Yeah. Um, and he garnered a reputation for being sensational and, you know, he just wanted media attention. So he was okay. talking to the press a lot. He was, like, just all over the place. And so they figured that he was just making... M- he was correlating them more, more people's body parts are being found, um, because he just wanted to keep it going and keep it all on him. It sounded like they him. just really wanted to solve 
um, the case. A lot, I mean, like, they pro- I'm sure they had pressure on people from some madmen running around. And that seems to be in these cases where you have, like, multiple bodies showing up. It's, like, pressure from the public and pressure from the people higher up than you to solve the case. And mm-hmm. that's when you see a lot of coerced confessions yep. and people trying to connect things when there shouldn't be any connections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, I told you before that they had made a bunch of death masks here is the four that they made. Oh, so that's what that is. Mm-hmm. I had seen, actually, in some of my research, that picture had popped up. I was wondering. They're mortifying. That's awesome. Um, there's also pictures of, see if you can see the tattoos. Yeah. Um, and then crime scene photos. This is actually, um, still in the Cleveland Police Museum. That's It's cool. a, a Kingsbury, the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, a.k.a. Cleveland Torso Murder exhibit. Yeah. Um, they have the death masks, they have photos, they have newspaper clippings. Um, I didn't realize that we had actually, like, when I was little, we went to the museum and we had seen this. To that museum? Yeah, because oh, it's nice. been around for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that that was what we had seen, because I just remember these creepy death masks, oh, and I'm like, fuck that, I'm not going yeah. over there. Uh, <laughs> it's like, let's go back to the hard, or not the hard rock, what am I saying? Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and fucking, I don't want to... <laughs> or the hard rock. <laughs> I don't there's a hard rock, too. Why not? Let's see you know. <laughs> I don't want to go to the death museum. Um... Yeah, but these people were never identified. This woman, um, she's the other African-American person that was murdered. Okay. Only two. Yeah. And the rest were all, like, mostly males, a few females, mostly white. It's just... It was fucked up. I mean, it is still... It is considered the largest investigation in Cleveland history, and it is still considered unsolved. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty fucked up. But another fun fact that I kind of ran across when I was researching this was um, there is a conspiracy, like a conspiracy, that the person who was the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run also murdered the Black Dahlia. What? Yeah, that doesn't sound like anything that's real. If you look at the way that she was killed, um, there are a lot of similarities between, um, like, if you look at some of the photos of the crime scenes that they took. Um, in Cleveland, it is very eerily similar to the way that she was hacked up. Yeah. Um, but her head was intact. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot of mutilation to her body parts that, you know, her feminine body parts. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't see a connection. I see that it's a similar method of death and, um, probably someone else who was having some sort of mental break issue, um, because of the way that they're mutilated and cut up. But, I mean, it is kind of close in time period. That was mid-40s. This was late 30s. It, I mean, you never know. <laughs> right, yeah. There could be a connection, but again, oh there God. could not be. Just like people I feel, say the Zodiac was connected I was say, to I the I feel like Phantom a lot of those murder. old um, <laughs> murders are, like, a lot of times t- tried to be, like, tied together. For, for sure. I mean, the timeline is pretty good. If you want to look into that, there's a, a couple, like, I'll put the links up on our website, but there's some interesting threads that <laughs> you can fall oh, into sure. about the connection between the Cleveland Torso murders and the Black Dahlia, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's the Cleveland Torso murders. That's murder. crazy! Yeah. Good job! Up. Thanks. Nice and nice. I'll just nice. have, you know, nightmares of body parts being wrapped in burlap bags for the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... 
Before I start, I want to say a quick shout out to my college roommate, Caitlin, who is from Cleveland. Okay. And I went <laughs> Sorry and for yeah, yeah. insulting Cleveland this whole episode. Well, it's gotten... But a, I can it, because it my has, parents are from there. To be fair, it has gotten a lot nicer in, oh, yeah. you know, the last 20 we years some, or so. We went to this tiki bar and I had the most amazing drink and I was like, can I have yeah. five more? But even she <laughs> is like, fuck Cleveland. Exactly. Fuck that place. All yeah. you can do is just be like, Cleveland! <laughs> and shake your hands. Uh, so this is an interesting week because I know we were talking about this earlier, but I, when we collaborate on episodes, we normally upload all of our shit onto a Google Drive that has all of our notes so we can kind of get everything together. Mm-hmm. I didn't upload any notes this week, so, so this Janelle is a surprise. Nothing. She has I'm no idea. In anticipation. <laughs> and I actually didn't bring one. And I share with you, and you're just like, no, Um, it's a secret, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. So I decided to look into the Cleveland Strangler. Ooh. Yes. (laughs) Um, AKA Anthony Sowell. Um, Vice did a really, really interesting, like, it was like an hour long documentary called Right Red Hand, the Cleveland Strangler. Which is a song. Have you seen that? Song. Find it cave. It's, oh, <laughs> so, just a fun fact. Okay. Music have you, fact. Have you watched this? I no? watched part of it, um, yeah. but then they started uh, having you have to pay for Vice. So oh, I, I watched could, it for free online. Oh, yesterday. Do they have it up on YouTube? Or no, whatever? it's like on Vice.com. <gasps> they it's don't on make you pay com? for it anymore. What? Yeah. So I pulled there it was up. A period of time where we were like illegally torrenting things from yeah, Vice no. because they wouldn't let us watch it. <laughs> no, they've got them all up online for free. Okay, yeah, as far as I know, it. unless I was logged in from before, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really interesting because the guy, and I forget what his name is, the journalist that they had, but he was from Cleveland and his parents both worked on the police for, um, yeah, the police force that, um, helped with the Cleveland Strangler case when it was happening. So he was able to talk to a lot of, like, he, they were friends with the first responders, like the homicide detectives. Mm -hmm. So, like, he was able to sit down with the homicide detectives and get firsthand accounts and, like, the victims' families. It's really, really interesting. I highly recommend it. It's only, like, 50 minutes long. Um, But I did pull a lot of my research from there because it was just really thorough. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, it's good. But um, I'm just Googling everything. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to do that. Yeah. Um, so Anthony Sowell, he's from East Cleveland. And at the time, the area was kind of in this collapse period. You had this um, influx of African-American people moving in and the white rich people, the white wealthy people. <laughs> the few that were there. <laughs> yeah. Were like, fuck this, we're getting out of here. And they started just moving out of the city in mass to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So East Cleveland really became this, like, dilapidated area that you now see is considered the ghetto of a lot of, mm-hmm. of these it's big like cities. It's like Cabrini Green. Right. <laughs> and so you see a lot of, like, busted down buildings. There is a lot of drug use and alcohol use. And just not a really good area. Um, he went to into the military at age 19 in 1978 and then he was discharged from the military on Janu- January 18th 1985 not for anything bad he received a lot of like high medals for service commendations there you go (laughs) yeah he received a lot of like commendations for service he had served overseas like so he had just these rave reviews from the military 
<laughs> Rave reviews, five stars. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so the way I set this up is kind of in a like a timeline format. Okay. Because there is so much stuff that happens like back to back to oh. back to back to back that it just it was easier to kind of go through it like this. So in 1989, Sol was convicted of kidnapping and attempted rape, um, and he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Uh, it was a woman who was three months pregnant that voluntarily entered his home. And when she tried to leave, he bound her with a tie, her hands and feet with a tie and a belt and gagged her with a rag. She managed to escape. But like I said, he was convicted of kidnapping and attempted rape. So he was in jail from 1989 to 2005. And that's... Pretty good. Usually... For, like, it's close to a full sentence, if not the yeah, whole thing. I yeah, I mean, usually attempted rape, they're like, whatever. Yeah. a couple years. Well, I wonder if it was because it was paired with kidnapping that it was, Yeah, that you could know. be. Um, so he was released from prison in 2005, and he did have to register on the sex offender list. However, when he left prison, they did not take his DNA and enter it into the system. So while he was... <laughs> Cleveland! Yeah. Cleveland! <laughs> so while he was a registered sex offender, they didn't have a ZNA on file. Oh my god. This is Which 2005. Is like, oh, 2005, yeah. Oh, so think of it in that perspective because we're ago. not that far from this. I yeah. was like a junior in high school. Yeah. Um, so in June 2007, a 38-year-old African-American woman named Crystal Dozer uh, was reported missing. She was the mother of seven children, and she did have a criminal record and a history of drug abuse. And what you're going to see a lot is all of these women were African-American women, and they all had some sort of history of drug abuse or maybe not necessarily criminal record, but... um, the thing was, well, we'll get to it. But unfortunately, that's why no one really gave a shit right. about solving it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 2007, the first report was made to the health department about a very putrid stench coming from his uh, apartment, his place of residence. So a gacy situation going on, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Uh, so the health department actually went out to the house at, to make an ins- inspection, but he lived where he lived was, uh, there was like a corner shop and then right across the street was this place called Ray's meat shop. <laughs> yeah. Ray's meat shop. So he first blamed it on this corner store mm-hmm. and then blamed it on the meat, meat shop that was right there. They said, no, it's these fumes coming from the meat shop. So they didn't do anything. They left. Um, so that was in 2007. In June 2008, Tashana Culver, who was a 31-year-old African-American woman, was last seen. And then in the summer of 2008, a second health inspection occurs on his residence. And again, the smell was blamed on Ray's meat shop. And the Ray's meat shop actually paid $20,000 for a new ventilation ventilation system in the Oh my god. Building. <laughs> because this guy is just like, nah, that place stinks, man. Nah, man. It's the meat sounds stinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the meat across the street that smells. <laughs> yes. That should be the name of the shop. The meat across the street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so, uh, that was in the summer of 2008. In August 2008, LaShonda Long, who was a 25-year-old African-American woman, was last seen. And then in September 2008, Vanessa Gay um, 
so in September 2008, Vanessa Gay meets um, Anthony Sowell, and she was raped and beaten in his place of residence. She was able to escape from his apartment and called police, but at the time, they didn't really have a solid procedure for rape cases, which seems, I mean, that was in 2008. Did they <laughs> That's the thing. And, and even now, like, there's so much stuff happening for, like, abuse and stalking and rape cases that they're still trying to figure their shit out about on how to handle these cases, especially in areas that this might not have. Although I can't imagine this isn't an area that doesn't happen a lot, but. It does happen a lot. <laughs> um, so they asked her to come down to the station rather than having, like, sending an officer to her. And due oh to. God. Uh, being super ashamed and really scared, she didn't go, and so she never made a report. This is... Right, yeah. Fucking well, and that's the thing, is, like, victims who go through that stuff, I have seen so many times where it's like, I was afraid, I was scared, I was ashamed. The way I just they need to handle to... it is they need to have a licensed professional come right. in and speak with the person <clears throat> instead of a detective at the hospital or mm-hmm. wherever they would like to talk to because this is a psychological issue on top of a physical issue. Yeah. I just, like, how is it taking us this long as a society to figure out how to handle domestic abuse, child abuse, rape cases? It infuriates me. I'm just going to stop. Yeah, Because <laughs> I could keep going forever. <laughs> So Vanessa Gay uh, made the police, well, called the police. It was September in 2008. In October of the same year, Michelle Mason, who is a 45-year-old African-American woman, was reported missing. She is a mother who had a criminal record and a history of drug abuse. And according to the records, the police did conduct a full investigation into her death um, when her family reported her missing. And I think that's really the only one off of this list where either the poli- a lot of times it was left up to the families to put up flyers and do the investigating, um, which I'll t- <laughs> I will get into I'll get into yeah a little bit later. But a lot of times it was left up to the families, so that is one of the few. Or they were never reported because they had a history of drug abuse or criminal record. It's like. They would leave all the time, and so it's not why, weird for them to be gone. That's these serial killers who target the, yeah. the poor and people who have these issues, they rarely get caught or get caught right. so much later. Yeah. Uh, so in November 2008, Tanya Carmichael, who is a 53-year-old African-American woman, was reported missing. In December of 2008, Gladys Wade was attacked by Sowell and actually dragged to his residence she also managed to escape and was completely covered in blood and beaten. She had, like, cut her hand on a piece of glass as she was trying to leave or something like mm-hmm. that. And she was able to make it to this nearby diner, but seeing this woman covered in blood when she asked to use her phone, they refused. And so she was forced to go outside and flag down a passing-by squad car. So the police took her in, took pictures of all her injuries. They went to his residence. They saw the blood on the stairs and they saw it was like uh, in December. So there was snow on the ground. So you, in this vice thing, they show you pictures of where the struggle was at. You can see there was Mm -hmm. a struggle. They arrest him and they take him in. Well, what happened and what happened in a lot of these cases is that it was given to the sex crimes unit Mm. and due to 
a lack of staff and an overabundance of cases and I'm sure a whole host of other things. The officer, when they went to take it to, um, I'm sure it's like the DA's office to bring a case, dropped all of the charges except for, I want to say like the, it was like a burglary charge or something. And he ended up being released without being charged for anything. Oh, so they did have him under arrest. They had all the evidence that he beat this woman and he was released. Yeah. Cleveland! Cleveland! Uh, so then in January 2009, Kim Yvette Smith, a 44-year-old African-American woman, was reported missing. April 2009, Nancy Cobbs, a 43-year-old African-American woman, is reported missing. Um, there was also in the same month a rape reported that was attributed to Sowell, but the rape kit was never tested. Do they ever test him? Right. I mean, really. Which at the same time, I'm like, even if you did, his DNA is not on file. Yeah, so, they you have know. to swab the shit out of him. Right. <laughs> yeah. In spring 2009, Amelda Hunter is last seen. She was a 47-year-old African-American woman. Uh, she was a beautician and mother of three, and she did have a criminal record and a history of drug abuse. Then in June 2009, Janice Webb, a 49-year-old African-American woman, and Talisha Fortson, a 31-year-old African-American woman, were both reported missing. Instead, do you seeing a pattern? I'm seeing all of a sudden a thousand patterns. In in it's all in this area, and all these women same are just women, going same missing. Demographic. Yeah. In September 2009, Diane Turner, a 38-year-old African-American woman, is last seen. The sheriff's office also visit his residence on a routine sex offender visit. I'm surprised they even did that. (laughs) Well, and I'm thinking, now his, at this point, his residence has been reported twice, for a health inspection. That's exactly. And from the interviews where they talked to these people in the neighborhood, they were like, the smell was so bad. We don't know how people going to the residence didn't Notice like, it? smell yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want like cops to watch people. Like, that's not okay. There's a lot of issues with the police state. But in this short period of time, if you have been charged multiple times... If someone is called on your house multiple times, if there is a stench coming from your house that's been called on multiple times, why isn't anyone getting a fucking clue and being like, hmm, there might be something fishy going on here with this guy? Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, just wait, because it'll get God. crazy. Am I All of a sudden it's just over? like, you might. <laughs> All of a sudden it's just like, <laughs> God. the whole thing is just like, what? Yeah. table flip about to happen. <laughs> Um, so also in September of 2009, LaTundra Billups is raped and strangled with an extension or like a power cable. Uh, She also escapes. And then in October of 2009, yeah, and this one is crazy. Um, Sean Morris escapes out of a second floor window after being raped and choked. She jumps out the window and... There is actually video footage I'm going to show you, and we'll put it up on the website. Fuck. (laughs) From this Vice thing that they had. It was the only place I could find where they had this video footage. It actually shows her jumping out of the window, and then Sowell running around the outside. They're both naked. She jumped out of the window naked. He runs out of the house naked. 
he goes outside and tries to like help her up off the ground and go off with her around to, to bring her back into the house, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but she fought him so hard until he was like, there's no way that I'm going to get this woman back in my house and threw her ground down to the ground so hard that she blacked out, woke up like six days later in a hospital. <laughs> I thought six days later in the same spot. No. Because that would fucking happen. Oh my because God. Cleveland! <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I'm going to show Janelle this video really quick. So yeah, Are it shows... joking? Yeah, him going outside naked to like... Oh, that's it. <laughs> to, like, pick her up. But the fact that they didn't follow up on the... No one just falls out of a fucking window when you fucking... Like, that, no, yeah. that doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Um. So they just took her to the hospital and oh she woke up. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she... The police got... Once, once she woke up, she went to the police. And they received this report and went over to the residence to go figure out what the fuck was going on. When they walk into the residence, they immediately see on the floor two bodies laying in the living room. Like, literally walked in the door, bodies in the living room. Um, at the time... And they still didn't arrest him. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, at the time, Anthony Soule wasn't at the, the residence. They mm-hmm. found him two days later and arrested him. But okay. in the meantime, they were like... They actually did something really smart. They they fucking stopped and called the homicide detectives in. Like, they didn't take any more steps into that residence. Called the people who were professionals at handling shit like this. Mm -hmm. They called homicide detectives in um, to to finish the investigation. So, immediately found two bodies laying on the floor in the living room. Um, They start searching the house. They go downstairs. And under the basement stairs, they find this really weird pile of dirt. On top of cement. They thought, what a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they thought, okay, that's, you know, that's kind Just of right. weird. Store my compost. So this is, <laughs> and that is where they would end up finding body number three. Next to the pile was like just, it was like a red pail, like a red bucket that had a human skull in it. Um, it had the skull of LaShonda Long was in that bucket. Back upstairs, they found two more bags with two more bodies in bags and another one in a crawl space inside of the house. So they ended up finding it was... Why is he keeping them in his house? Two two in the living room floor, the third one downstairs, the head in the bucket, and then the two bodies in bags and one in the crawl space. Seven, eight bodies? Seven bodies? Eight. Eight bodies? Yeah. <laughs> a shitload of bodies in the house. Um, when they... So now they're like, okay, there has to be more. And they dig up the backyard. Right, yeah. They... <laughs> oh, God. Found three more bodies in the backyard and the remains of a fourth, making the total number of bodies he had in his house and on his property. He had 11 people. All 11 women were in his house. Or on his property. And since then, his house has been demolished. There's nothing on that lot. Um, Nothing's really been done with it either. It's just like an empty lot. They say that when he would take these women, he would start with oral sex, and they would move to vaginal sex, and then finally he would sodomize the women and strangle them. Like, that's when he would... Mm -hmm 
bring out a ligature to like strangle these women to death. And that was what he did every single time. That was his MO. And he was really, really good at manipulating these women into coming back for drugs or alcohol to come back with him to his house. Um, yeah, it was intense. And they show in this vice thing, they show like the investigators just, it's like body after body after body. It's like, how many are we going to find? Um, Ultimately, he was convicted on July 22nd of 2011 on 82 counts of aggravated murder, kidnapping, corpse abuse, and evidence tampering. And he was sentenced to death at that time. Um, But as of January 5th, 2017, Sowell's execution was put on hold indefinitely until his appeals process is done. And the appeals is not to say that he's not guilty. It's not to change the um, conviction, but it is to change so that he would be able to serve life in prison versus getting the death penalty, which I feel like he definitely deserves the death penalty on this one. I have such a hard time with the death penalty because the fear is like, what if the person actually didn't do it? But in this case, he fucking did it. Yeah. Like, he did it. Like, he literally had 11 bodies on his property. There were multiple Guy's occasions guilty. he was fucking guilty as shit. Guy's guilty, yeah. Um, like, no one deserves to die except you fucking do. Right. <laughs> so he still has all of his appeals all the way up to the federal uh, court system. Dear God. So he <laughs> will be in the court system unless he decides to give up for years and years and years and years. Yeah. Um, right now they're saying he would be able to, like, as it stands right now, his execution date would be like 2022. Um, but even then, um, I don't know. He's probably going to live a good portion of his life in prison. Yeah. He, let's see, he was 19 and and 78. When, he looks like he's got to be, like, in his late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Um, so yeah. (laughs) He's he's going to be taking our... You know, the tax dollars for a good portion of yeah. the time. I do, <laughs> I definitely, if you get a chance to check out um, the Viceland documentary that they did on him, mm-hmm. I think they did a really nice job. Uh, they made it very victim-focused, which is nice. Yeah, they talk. They do a lot of, like, talking to the victim's families. A lot of them have kids that are still around today, and it's really, really sad. Um, but it's a, it's a really interesting look at the case. So, check it out. Man, fuck that guy. Cleveland! Cleveland! <laughs> so that has been our episode oh, on Cleveland. Murder in Cleveland, yeah. baby. <laughs> we'll start off, if you want to find us anywhere, you probably found us on iTunes mm-hmm. or Google Play. Yes. We also have a website you can download, badtastecrimecast.com. Do it. We're also on Facebook at the Bad Taste Crimecast. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, whoop. <laughs> that a, did that one? No? Huh? Big table knock. No? Okay. <laughs> We're knocking the yeah. table. <laughs> I'm getting too excited about all of our social media. Um, <laughs> we are on Twitter at BT Crimecast, on Instagram at BT Crimecast. Yeah, Bad Taste Crimecast. Bad Taste Crimecast. Yeah. You, We're everywhere. If you have bad taste and we're like the first yeah. thing that comes up. If you have you social media, just search us. We're probably yes. on it. We do, like I've been doing a lot of polls on our Twitter yeah. to see what people want to listen to. Um, please email us either, either through the website or at our Gmail yeah. account. Um 
We have gotten we, a couple emails. Yeah, we love suggestions. We love people telling us their stories. We definitely want to do, like, some listener stuff, so please send us, like, a local haunt. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, a murder that fascinates you, or, you know, the first murder that got you interested in, true crime. Yeah, special what, thanks to Jillian for yes, suggesting she, this episode. She's ding, 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 our Patreon oh, yeah. winner, too, Yeah, Jillian. that Patreon contest we had <laughs> she won. that I wasn't allowed to win. <laughs> she won. She was, like... I'm in there, so we're going to be sending out a, a thank nice you, thank little, you. Yes, a nice little thank you gift for winning. Um, and as promised, um, I'm going to read an iTunes review. Oh, yeah? Do we <laughs> yes. have another new one? We do. Oh! Uh, <laughs> we actually have two new You're ones. You're supposed to, like, send these to me, because I, I can't wanna, get on now iTunes. Now I'm going to surprise you. I can't bitch. get on iTunes. <laughs> okay. So, this person... Um, is called Craziest Podcaster. They gave us five stars. Hey, Craziest Podcaster. <laughs> Their um, title is called Excellent! Ooh. Exclamation point. Ooh. Um, I really enjoy your banter and contents. Definitely looking forward to more. This is Aaron from Crime Crazy Podcast. I have been talking ah, thanks, to them on Twitter. They're, they have a great podcast, yeah. Crime Crazy. Um, to talk it out. Another two chicks, you know, hanging out, talking nice. about true crime. Um, very nice. Check their stuff out, too. But I'll let you, girl. She's like, we totally left you a review. I was like, oh, oh that's stop. great. Stop. That's awesome. We love <laughs> so, it. Yeah, I love when people do that. Yeah. Um, please send us a review on iTunes or, uh, I don't know, Google Play. Does they do that? I don't too? think they actually I think do iTunes. I keep saying that, yeah. but I think you can... Uh, on, like, Stitcher, Stitcher and yeah. some other whatever. Um, definitely things. iTunes. I will read from iTunes. Yeah, So totally. please send us a review, or if you have a snapshot or, like, you know, picture of the review you gave, send it to us, um, and we'll read it on air. For show. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other shout-outs? Nope. Just thank our huge, okay. you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I do have a suggestion for this week. Last week, um, I talked about Missing Maura Murray. Mm-hmm. Those two guys who do that podcast have another podcast that I want to talk about this week called Crawl Space. Oh, where that sounds intriguing. <laughs> right now, I think it's um, more of a a vessel for them to like explore other cases. Right now, they are looking at the case of Brianna Maitland, which is really similar to Maura Murray in that it was kind of like this, what seems to be a car accident, and she mysteriously went missing and hasn't been found. Really, really interesting. They do a really nice job of talking to the people who are investigating the case and, and everything. So um, if you liked Missing Maura Murray, definitely check out Crossface. It's really, really good. I've been enjoying it a lot. Awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, thanks for uh, doing sound tiff. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Our sound <laughs> editor. No, I didn't know if you had anything else to no. say. Look, it's right there. I just don't oh, want to forget. <laughs> Our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech, who's the best. Thank you. Yes. And <laughs> our music is by Jason Z. I was going to try and attempt to say his name, but I'm not going to. No? Nope. I think, <laughs> I think we might have him on soon. Yes. We're gonna so do we'll some... ask. That'll be like a pointed question. Like, all right, the people need to know. <laughs> how do you say your last name? Uh, we're going to have some some guests coming up. Yeah. So. It's going to be really it's exciting. It's going to be good. Yeah. So <laughs> with that said, we're going to get out of your earphones. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Los Angeles, a killer the police are calling the Hillside Strangler has murdered 10 young women and left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another.